Around the world, many believers are persecuted, imprisoned, and killed for their faith. It's not something that we talk enough about, I think. I think that we have maybe been lax and, and derelict in our duty. Since Jesus laid down his life for us 2,000 years ago, it's been estimated that some 43 million Christians have become martyrs. They died for their faith. Today, this year, over 260 million Christians around the world are being persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. And it's estimated that some 60% of that number are in fact children. Let me tell you the story of Sarah very quickly. Sarah knows firsthand what it is to be persecuted. She and her husband felt God leading them to open a Bible school in a Muslim country. When I say Muslim country, I mean a country that is predominantly Muslim. And as they were in the midst of, of setting things up, four men attacked their family with metal hatchets. And because of the attacks, Sarah ended up with three skull fractures, a punctured eardrum, and internal bleeding. It's hard for us to even imagine that. And yet this is something that happens far more frequently than anybody wants to admit, and certainly far more frequently than the media will ever report. The World Watch List produces a list of the top 50 most dangerous countries in the world for Christians. And then what they have is the top 10 or 11 countries that have extreme levels of persecution. You'll notice that most of the persecution on this map takes place in, in Muslim nations. The countries with the extreme levels of persecution are as follows. First and worst is North Korea, then Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, Pakistan, Eritrea, Sudan, Yemen, Iran, India, and Syria. When we look at these numbers and we look at the massive territory, these places where it is dangerous to be a Christian, we can be very easily tempted to think, well, there's, what can I do about it? We can easily be overwhelmed and feel, well, what do I do with this information? Well, thankfully, we have the word of God that teaches us and instructs us how to respond. And basically, there are two major things that we can do. The first thing, of course, is to give financially to help our brothers and sisters who are being persecuted, who are, in fact, losing their job, who's, uh, who's maybe, whose husband or whose wife is maybe in prison, where the principal breadwinner is not available to, to finance or to pay for the needs of the family. Well, we can help them financially, but the second thing we can do, and we must do according to Scripture, is we must pray for them. So, let's take a look at what the Bible has to say. First of all, I'm reading from Hebrews chapter 13. If you have your Bibles, please turn there, Hebrews 13. And we're looking at the first three verses. And it says, 
Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in pris- you were in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. So this is the principal verse that we will be looking at this morning. Remember those who are in prison as though you were in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. God has called us, has clearly called us, to remember those who are in prison. We're gonna talk about that more in just a moment. But first of all, I'd like us to look at the two preceding verses. And uh, it says, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Let me just begin by saying that there are a number of names for the church. The Bible is very clear about what the church is supposed to be. It's clear about the function of the church. And so in these various names, we get a clear idea of what God's intention is. Sometimes the church is called a holy nation, Sometimes it's called a temple. Sometimes it's called a priesthood, a kingdom, vine and branches. It's sometimes called a flock, a flock of sheep, where Jesus is the good shepherd. We are the sheep of his shepherd. Sometimes it's called an assembly or a body. But the one that I really, really love is family. The word family emphasizes for us our common love for each other. You need to understand that. When you become a Christian, you become part of a family. Someone said that a Christian without a family, that is a Christian without a church, is really an orphan. God's intention for every believer is that he or she be part of a family. And in that family, they, you are nurtured, you are cared for, you are taught, you are instructed, you are sometimes rebuked, We don't like that part, but sometimes we have to be rebuked. We have to be instructed. We need to learn what is the will of God. So, all believers are part of God's family. If you are truly converted, if you're truly born again, then you are, in fact, part of the family of God. By the way, one of the indicators that a person may not be converted is that they have no interest in the family of God. They don't want to fellowship with other believers, they don't care about other Christians, they only care about themselves. That may be an indicator. But understand this, if you are a Christian, then every other Christian around the world is your brother and sister. And I can tell you that I have traveled around the world and I have enjoyed the sweet fellowship with all kinds of brothers and sisters in every part of the world. Sometimes I don't understand their language but I certainly understand their body language. I understand their heart, and I can sense a oneness, a kinship, a fellowship that is truly supernatural. As part of this family, you understand that we have responsibilities. In our home, uh, all of our children had responsibilities, things that they were responsible to take care of as members of our family. And by the way, as the head of my family, Uh, I have great responsibilities as well. Responsibilities to my wife and to my children. 
but everybody in the family has got responsibilities. Now, the duty that Hebrews emphasizes here is that we are, in fact, to love each other. The writer of Hebrews says, let brotherly love continue. So you understand that the writer of Hebrews is appealing to our understanding of our standing in the family of God. The writer of Hebrews wants us to clearly understand that we are connected to our brothers and sisters. We are to demonstrate love towards each other. And by the way, love for one another is not only or not merely in words alone, but in action. In this case, we are called to meet the needs of our brothers and sisters and to pray for them wherever they may be. So, the writer of Hebrews says, let brotherly love continue. Now this command is in the present imperative, meaning it's something that is always done, and always must be done. This is not something that you do just once a year, even though, as it turns out, we are, we are considering the persecuted brethren once a year. I think we're going to have to reshape the way that we do our Sunday services to make sure that we never forget our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I, I, I repent of the fact that we haven't done enough for them. But understand that it's something that must be done on a continuing basis. Now the word continue in the Greek is the word meno, which means to abide or to dwell, to endure, to be present, to remain, to stand, to tarry. There's all kinds of words that you could use in place of that word continue. But the word includes the idea of enduring in the face of difficulties, sticking with it in the face of temptation. You may be tempted to say, well, you know, I got my own needs, I got my own problems, I've got my own struggles, I, I really don't have time to focus or to tarry on the needs of my brother. I haven't got time to, to dwell on or to abide in the, the needs of my brother. But understand that the writer here is telling us that we must persevere, we must not give up, we must continue loving our brothers and caring for them. It's called persevering love. Now, I'm gonna tell you, talk is cheap. Anybody can talk about love. In fact, it's something that you, you often hear, you know, Christianity is all about love. If we just love each other, then that's all we need to do. The problem is, is that most people don't really know what, what the biblical definition of love is. Love is more than just a feeling. It's more than just words. Love, as you've heard me say before, is in fact a verb. It's something that you do. Or as we learned in grade school, a, a verb is an action word. It's something that you do. And this is exactly what the, writers of he, the writer of Hebrews is telling us. Let us be active in loving and caring for our brothers and sisters in the faith. This, this love of the brethren, uh, the, the word in Greek is Philadelphia, which means brotherly love or kindness. It's composed of two root, root words, the word philo, or phileo, which means tender affection, and adelphos, which means brother or near kinsman. It, it literally means from the same womb. Isn't that amazing? 
And I think that's a fantastic picture for brothers and sisters in Christ. We're all from the same womb, from the womb of God, as it were. If you've been born again, if you're a brand new creation, then you've been born from above, born from God. And this makes us all brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, if you understand this, it's a game changer in terms of how we treat one another. So those who have put their faith in Christ, I don't care what color your skin is. I don't care what language you speak. I don't care what part of the world you're from. I don't care what, where you fit in the socioeconomic strata. What matters most is that you and I have been born of the same womb, the womb of God. We are brothers and sisters. Now, the great hindrance to this kind of brotherly love, as you can well imagine, is self-love. That is the problem with, with all humans. But for those of us who have been born again, those of us who are supposed to be children of God, who are supposed to be imitating our Father, this is the problem. Because we're to be like our Father in heaven. This is what Jesus tells us. Be perfect as God is perfect. We can become so occupied with ourselves, with our own needs, our own problems, our own interests, our own struggles, our our own lack of whatever, that we completely forget about our brothers and sisters who are struggling. We fail to let brotherly love continue when we forsake a brother or sister who is in trouble. And I can tell you today, that, again, 260 million people in the world right now are suffering or being persecuted because of their faith in Jesus Christ. How can we, with good conscience, sit back and do nothing? How can we wave it off and say, oh, well, I'm already doing my part? Listen, to whom much is given, much is required. And those of us who live in a wealthy country, we are tempted to believe that we can make our own decisions and and make, make our own way, do what we want. But the very definition of a disciple is that we submit to our master. Remember, Jesus Christ is not just your savior, he's your Lord, and you do what your Lord tells you to do. So, Paul said to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Did you hear that? Let me read it to you again. Galatians 6, verse 2, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Of course, it's love each other. You see what I'm saying? It's easy to say it's all about love and love wins and love, love, love. Everybody seems to be conversant in the language, but very few really understand it. We are to bear one another's burdens. We are to come alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we are to suffer with them, clearly. And then you'll notice that it says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Now, hospitality to strangers is a translation of one word, and that word is philoxenia. It comes from philos, which means love, and xenos, which means stranger. It's, it's a love of strangers, or a love of aliens is really what it is. 
It means that we're loving strangers. We have a fondness for them. We have an affection towards them. We're hospitable. We show hospitality. Some of us think, well, you know, I don't know any of these people who are struggling in other lands, but clearly the apostle or the writer of Hebrews is telling us that we are to show love and kindness to these strangers, these people we don't even know by name. The virtue, by virtue of the fact that these people are our brothers and sisters in Christ is a call to us to love them and to care for them. So then, we're clear that of what brotherly love is. We're, we understand that our call is to love strangers, people that we don't even know by name. We're, we're clear about that. So how specifically then can we meet these needs? Well, let's go back to the, to the main verse, Hebrews 13.3. It says, remember those who are in prison as though you were in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. By the prisoners, or those who are in prison and the word mistreated, the author means those who are suffering because of their faith in Christ. He's not referring to criminals here, unless you define somebody who is a Christian and being persecuted for their faith as a criminal. But we're not talking about the average variety criminal. We're talking about somebody who is suffering for their faith. This is not the first time that the writer of Hebrews is addressing this issue of suffering for our faith in Jesus Christ. If you go back a few chapters to Hebrews 10 and look at verses 32 to 34, listen to what it says. It says, think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Think back. Remember how you remained faithful even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten. And sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail, and when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. Boy, that was a a powerful Christianity back then. I can't imagine accepting the loss of all my property with joy. And yet that is what the early church did. That's what the early Christians did. And that's what Christians are doing today all over the world. The writer goes on to say, you knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. One of the things that we fail to teach and preach in North America is what Jesus said would be the lot of every follower of Christ. And that is, namely, that we would suffer, that we would be persecuted for our faith. Jesus said, don't be surprised when you are persecuted for your faith. It's going to happen. In North America, for, for hundreds of years, we have enjoyed relative freedom in our worship. It was really the reason why North America was settled. It was It was people who were suffering for their faith in Europe that came to North America so that they could practice their faith in relative ease and comfort. But isn't it interesting that now we are facing a huge change, a huge paradigm shift in our culture. Christianity now, the church, Christians, the word of God is considered the enemy. 
And folks, it's, as far as I'm concerned, it's just a matter of time before we begin to experience severe forms of persecution right here in Canada and the USA. It's coming. But I want you to know that it's already happening. There are already many, many stories of Christians in North America that are suffering for their faith in Jesus Christ. Christians who are holding to their Christian convictions and refuse to bend or bow to the pressures of this world. Can I remind you, this world is under the influence and the power of the God, the Prince of the Air. There is a prince of darkness that rules over the world, the scriptures tell us. Be clear about this. Don't be ignorant about this. It's not pastoral and getting everybody all worked up and, and nervous for nothing. I'm telling you, this is the reality that we are facing as Christians. There's a hostile world out there that is hostile because it is under the power, the influence, and the inspiration of hell itself. Persecution is the fruit of this supernatural war that's taking place in the heavenlies, in the spiritual realm. And so the way that we deal with a spiritual battle in the spiritual realm is with spiritual weapons. And what is that spiritual weapon? It's prayer. Prayer changes things. Prayer makes a difference. It's sad that we so often forget that. And I think because of our relative ease and comfort here, we can very easily become lax and lazy. In fact, that is the case with many believers in North America. We have become very lazy when it comes to our faith in Christ. Lazy in prayer, lazy in, lazy in the reading and the living out of the scripture. But God has called us to pray. So remember those who are in prison as though it were you who was being mistreated. Prisoners in that day are not like prisoners today. There's all kinds of, 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 of names for prison right now. Some refer to it as a, as a type of hotel because of the relative comfort that's there. But prisoners, when this, were, when this was read, prisoners in those days depended on relatives and friends to come and feed them. If the relatives and friends didn't come and bring food to them, they would literally starve to death. They suffered hunger and thirst and cold and loneliness. Those prisoners back then depended on the Christian family of God to bring, bring clothing, bring a blanket, bring food, bring water but to properly care for them. And then I want to point out this to you. Remember those who are in prison as though you were in prison with them. The term translated in prison with them literally is prisoners together with them. So the writer of Hebrews wants us to understand that we are to sympathize with these brothers and sisters in prison as though we were literally with them, together with them, suffering in prison. And again, 
The writer of Hebrews says, think back, think back to the moments when you suffered for your faith. And, and what a blessing it was when someone came alongside of you and helped you and ministered to you. Remembering Christians who are suffering persecu- persecution, it requires that we think about their situation and apply the golden rule. What is the golden rule? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. How would you want to be treated if you were in prison? Can you imagine how hopeless it would be if you were thrown, as many are, thrown into solitary confinement? How hopeless you would feel. But then you would remember the preaching and the teaching of scripture. And then you would say, God, I know somewhere in this world, somebody is praying for me. Well, that's what we're gonna do tonight. We're gonna pray for our brothers and sisters who are in prison, and we're gonna pray that God gives them a sense of his glorious presence and reassures them that there are people who are praying for them. Every Tuesday night, as part of our prayer meeting, we pray for the persecuted church. We remember them, and we will not forget them, God helping us. So, he says here, you're in prison with them. Uh, remember them as though you're in prison with them. And uh, remember them as though you were being mistreated. And then he says, since you also are in the body. But listen, it could happen to you. It could happen to you. And I think probably as things are going, it probably will happen to us. I believe there is big, big changes coming in the days ahead. And I've been saying that since 2010. I saw the writing in the wall back then and it's, it's all coming, coming true. Paul, in his, in his instructions to the believers in Corinth, he says, if one part of the body suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. Folks, this is the good news, is that when you became part of the family of God, when you were born again, you became part of a family that rejoiced with you, that suffered with you, that would pray with you, but we're always there for you. Now, obviously, we can't be close to 260 million, at least not in natural terms, but in prayer and in our giving, we can make a difference. I wanna say this to you today, if you feel God moving in your heart to contribute something towards brothers and sisters who are suffering in these persecuted countries, I want to invite you to send in an e-transfer or send in a check, Um, go to our website and just make a donation and just use the word persecuted, we'll know what that means and we'll be sure that we send out funds and resources to brothers and sisters who are suffering in the world. Now, we can't obviously meet the needs of 260 million people. It's not possible. But I'll tell you this, if every church around the world contributed a little bit, we could actually take care of and meet that need. And so I'm putting that that challenge out to you, if you would consider it. It doesn't have to be a lot, but something. Some token of love for your brothers and sisters who are suffering. 
I pray that our hearts would be moved to the point where we would find ourselves indeed suffering with our brothers and sisters in Christ because we are all part of the body. That's right, since you also are in the body. God help us, we pray, to be kind and considerate to those who are suffering. I, mean just, I wanna tell you just a few stories of, of men and women who are suffering in the world right now, suffering for the faith. On November the 25th, 2009, Pastor Wang Xiao Huang and four others of the Linfen Fushan Church, these are leaders of the church in the Shaanxi province, they were sentenced to criminal detention for two to seven years these five church leaders were accused of gathering people to disturb the public order. What was their crime? They organized a prayer meeting. That's right. And that day, 400 military police raided the church's grounds, and during the raid, more than 30 believers were seriously wounded. 17 buildings were destroyed. Pastor Wang has been in prison for 1,083 days. He needs our prayers. And then there's young Eva Abdullah. She's 17 years old. She welcomed Christ into her life at age 14. She grew up in a Muslim family, and after her conversion, her parents disowned her. Her father is a district Islamic leader, and she lived with a Christian pastor until she was arrested. A group of radicals in her hometown of Bagamoyo on Tanzania's coast, they wanted to convince her to give up her new Christian faith. And when she refused, they falsely accused her of urinating on a Quran, Islam's holy book. Eva was arrested and put in prison, and many Christian leaders were too afraid to get involved in the case because of the Muslim dominance in that district. At her trial on July 23rd, the judge who was bribed by Islamic militants accused her and sentenced young Eva to two years imprisonment. To date, she's been in prison for 313 days. On March 9, 2010, a criminal court in Uzbekistan sentenced 27-year-old Tohar Haydarov to 10 years in prison for the illegal sale of narcotics and psychotic substances in large quantities. Members of the Baptist Church in Uzbekistan insisted that the charges were fabricated and that Haydarov's sentence was punishment for his religious activity. We don't know why he received a sentence for 10 years in jail, but he did. The Baptists insist that the police planted the drugs on, on this young man, and church members insist that he is a man with a pure conscience and an honest, and he's an honest Christian man. His appeal has been denied repeatedly, and he's been in prison for 979 days. These are people that need our prayers. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, 10 to 11, and God did rescue us from mortal danger and he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him and he will continue to rescue us. Watch this, verse 11, 2 Corinthians 1, verse 11. And you are helping us 
by praying for us. Then many people will give thanks because God has graciously answered so many prayers for our safety. Your prayers are powerful. Your gifts are powerful, but your prayers change things. And some of us are tempted to believe that what difference does prayer make? I've been serving as a pastor since 1983. And as you can imagine, I've been part of many prayer meetings. Well, I can tell you that prayer does make a difference. Let me share this with you as a, as a final word of encouragement. In 1540, Martin Luther's great friend and assistant, Frederick Myconius, became sick and was expected to die in a short time. On his bed, Myconius wrote a loving farewell note to Martin Luther with a trembling hand. Luther received the letter and instantly sent back a reply. He says, I command thee in the name of God to live. I still have need of thee in the work of reforming the church. As you know, Martin Luther is one of the great reformers. He got everybody back on track where the scriptures, sola scripture, only the scriptures, the final authority and word of God. And Martin Luther goes on to say, the Lord will never let me hear that thou art dead, but will permit you to survive me. For this I am praying. This is my will, and my will be done, because I seek only to glorify the name of God. Now, isn't that a confidence in God? Well, here's the, here's the thing that is so amazing. One week after... Myconius got that letter from Luther. He recovered, and he didn't die. Now remember what Luther says here. He says, I'm praying that God will permit you to survive me. In other words, that you will die after me, Luther says. I need you to live, Myconius, and you're not dying until I die first. And guess what? Two months after Martin Luther died, Myconius died. Your prayers make a difference. We're praying God's will be done. And I'm going to pray right now and pray that you will join us tonight for prayer so that we can make an impact on our brothers and sisters who are suffering around the world. Father, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your grace and strength to be the people you've called us to be. God forbid that we should be just hearers of the word. Give us grace to be doers of the word. Father, some of us are able to give. Help us to give generously so that we can bless our brothers and sisters and their children. And Father, help us, we pray, to be found effective in prayer and fervent in our prayer. Lord, thank you today for the family of God. Thank you, God, for the family that, that is loving and caring towards other brothers and sisters. Give us grace today, we pray, to fulfill the commands of Scripture. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hopefully we'll see you tonight at 6 o'clock p.m. God bless you.